of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all, everybody say all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through the philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of the principality and power. Today, for a few minutes, I wanna to speak to this subject. Am I missing something? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, am I missing something? From Colossians chapter two, verses one through 10. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time that we have available, that we can come together to gather as your people and to lift up your name and to look to your word. Lord, I pray that we would not take this time for granted, but that we would recognize that you do have a purpose for each of us here in this service. And Lord, I pray that we can be encouraged from your word today. Lord, I pray that we would have a better understanding of who you are and how you can dramatically transform us from the inside out. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us through a powerful way. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning, Amen. how many of you have ever experienced FOMO? Can I see your hands? The fear of missing out, FOMO. I remember growing up, I was in elementary, and there was a funeral that was taking place at our church, and it was of uh, someone who was very well connected, and so a lot of uh, famous people were attending this funeral, a lot of dignitaries and, and politicians coming to this funeral, one of which was the one and the only 
Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was the governor at the time. He was the governator. How many of you remember those days, right? Arnold at the helm. And uh, he was coming to this funeral service. And I remember being in elementary, I wanted to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was coming to our church, and I was like, this would be the best, you know, to meet uh, the Terminator in person. By the way, uh, probably Arnold's best film was Jingle All the Way, the classic Christmas. Just in case you were wondering, it's not the Terminator. No, it's Jingle All the Way, a father willing to do anything to get his son that toy, right? And so I was excited to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I wanted to go. And so my dad told me, he said, Matt, if you wake up early, and if you go and sit in my office all day at the end, I think there's going to be a good chance that you can meet Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I was excited about this. I went to bed. The next morning, I woke up, and I realized I missed my alarm. And I did not wake up in time. And no one bothered to wake me up. And so I did not meet Arnold Schwarzenegger. Tragic day. My brother met him. My parents met him, and I got to watch on TV, and I missed the whole thing. And I had this, this, this feeling of missing out. You know, that's not a great feeling. Whenever you miss out on something, you miss out on an experience or an opportunity. Uh, that's always a bad feeling that you have on the inside. And, and the world knows this. Uh, uh, marketing experts know this. Advertising experts know this. That's why if you've ever been shopping on Amazon, you've probably seen something like this, uh, like this picture that we have today, something like this. Only one left in stock. How many of you know what I'm talking about? For all we know, there's 500 left in stock, but they want you to think this is the last one. Uh, you can't miss out and uh, you've got to strike fast if you're buying airline tickets. What do they say? There's only one seat left at this price, you know, and uh, they want to instill within us this this fear of missing out. The reality is for all of us this morning is I believe that is the exact tactic that the devil wants to use on your life and on my life. That this fear of missing out. If I give my life to Jesus, if I surrender my will over to Jesus, am I going to miss out on some sort of pleasure in life? Am I going to miss out on some money-making opportunity? Am I going to have to live a second-best life if I give my life to Jesus? And I want you to know the overwhelming, overarching message of the book of Colossians is that we are not missing out. Jesus and Jesus alone is enough. Do you believe that this morning, that Jesus Christ is enough. This fear of missing out was the lie being, uh, the lie being told to the church at Colossae that they, that they were missing out on something, that Jesus was good, but they needed more knowledge than just Jesus, and they needed more experiences than just Jesus, and they had to read more than just the Word of God. Uh, they were telling them, these false teachers were telling the church there at Colossae that they needed more, and so Paul writes this letter, and he's again challenging them to get a fresh vision of who Jesus is, to put Jesus at the center of their lives, and to encourage them that Jesus is enough. Now, uh, notice verse number 10 in our text, because this kind of gives us the central idea of the text in verse number 10. It says, and you are complete in him. You are complete in Jesus. Uh, not Jerry Maguire, not any other relationship. You complete me, no other relationship. You are complete in Jesus. He is enough. This is the idea of Colossians in Colossians chapter number two. This is the message that Paul was saying. I remember several years ago, I was getting coffee with someone that had visited our church. And I wanted to learn their story, and we were kind of having a dialogue together at Starbucks. And about halfway through the conversation, I realized I don't know much about this person's spiritual background. I don't know um, how they grew up. I don't know if they're saved. And so I just asked him about halfway through the conversation. I said, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Uh, are you saved? And the answer was startling to me. The answer was, I think so. 
Uh, I think I've been saved. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean you think uh, that, that you've been saved? And he says, well, I believe in Jesus, but at my last church, they told me that I had to believe in Jesus, and I wasn't truly saved until I had this subsequent experience. It wasn't until I have this experience, then I'll truly be saved. Can I tell you today uh, that the only equation that works for salvation is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's not about some subjective feeling that we have or some subjective experience. It's about a personal encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And so today there are people that are searching. Jesus is good, but I need something else. I need another experience. I, I need more information. Uh, and this is the message of Colossians, that we do not have to live in fear of missing out. We don't have to live fearful, but we can live a fulfilled life. And so today, if you're taking notes, I want to give us uh, really three ways from this text that we just read a moment ago, three ways that we can live a fulfilled life. Are you interested this morning? Three ways that we can live a fulfilled life. Number one, if you're taking notes, we have to embrace healthy community. Embrace healthy community. Now, let's pick up our text in verse number one, and I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today. Verse number one, Paul says, for I would, I wish that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Now, as far as we know, Paul had never visited this church. And he says, you haven't seen my face. Uh, we've not met face to face. You have not seen my uh, uh, flesh, but I care about you. And I love you. Paul loved this church. In fact, so much so, notice verse number one again. It says, what great conflict I have for you. Now, I like that phrase, and I zeroed in, I underlined that phrase in my Bible, because that phrase is actually an athletic phrase. Uh, it's, it's something that is used in sports. And Paul, uh, if you read the letters of, of Paul and his writings, you quickly learn that Paul was interested in sports. He liked to learn about sports. How many of you are into some sort of sport today? You like sports? How many of you are like, not me, I'm into something else? Okay, about half and half, all right. Well, today we're going to talk about sports for a second, okay? So uh, Paul, said, Paul said, this great conflict that I have for you, the idea was the ability to play through pain. That, that's what it meant. Great conflict. He said, even though I'm hurting, even though I'm in prison, I'm still moving forward for you. I'm still playing through the pain. And I thought about that this week, and I thought there's only one appropriate example that I can share, one appropriate illustration. And I brought a video of this this morning. Let's check it out. So Kobe's going to go back and get it. He hurt his finger. Yes, he did. Uh, this is uh, something you do not want to see, and he is hurting right now. Boy, in a hushed silence immediately. This entire arena is probably here. It is ready for it. Dislocated his finger and popped it back in place and kept on playing. Now, I'm not saying that Kobe and the Apostle Paul are on the same level, but there's some similarities, all right? They were both playing through the pain. And uh, this is what Paul was saying, that, that I'm trying to do the work of the Lord, and I care about you so much, even though I'm hurting, I'm moving forward anyways. Can I encourage you today that sometimes in life, you have to play through the pain? That, that even when you're hurting, and even when you're confused, you're still going to put one foot in front of the other. That even when you're hurting, you're saying, you know what, I'm still going to go to a small group. I'm still going to show up and I'm going to serve. I'm still going to wake up even though I'm tearful and read the word of God. Sometimes you have to play through the pain. And Paul was saying, even though I have this great conflict, I'm still moving forward. Why did Paul play through the pain? 
Why did Paul care so much about this church that he had never even been to? It's not like he was writing to the church at Philippi that he started and that he knew so many people there and had some of his greatest friendships in the world at Philippi. He was writing to a church and to a people that he had never met. And he said, I'm willing to play through the pain and experience this great conflict for you. Why? The reason why is because Paul understood the power of community and the power of the local church. And he says, so I'm willing to move forward for you because I want you to know how powerful it is when you embrace healthy community. Now, Paul's gonna give a picture of what that looks like. Are you interested? A picture of healthy community? Uh, let's look at it. Uh, the first thing that I see is comfort. Uh, there's, there's a few different characteristics of this healthy community, this spiritual community. First is comfort, notice verse two. He says, that their hearts might be what? Comforted encouraged. He says, I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to be disheartened. I want you to actually find courage and to put courage in you. Second Corinthians one verse number three says this, blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. By the way, aren't you thankful that the God that we worship is not just the God of some comfort, but he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Do you see the process? God comforts us so that we can turn and comfort others, so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus and go to one another and pray for one another and encourage one another and help one another in a time of need. See, if we're not careful, we will be a church that can have in our own minds the right answers, and we can be clever, we can be cynical, but the question is, are we a people that are compassionate, that are willing to show one another comfort? I read this interesting story several years ago about Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, and uh, when he was 10 years old, he was watching TV at his grandma's house, and there was this commercial that came on TV, and it was about smoking and uh, smoking cigarettes. And the commercial was saying something to the effect of every puff of smoke that you take inhale with a cigarette, you're gonna lose a certain amount of time in your life. And I don't remember all the numbers, but Jeff uh, Bezos is a mathematician, a math whiz, and so he did all the numbers. And he proudly told his grandmother, who was an avid smoker, how many years of her life she lost due to smoking. And he was kind of proud of himself because he did the math real quick, but his grandmother started to break out in tears. She started to cry. Jeff Bezos, his grandfather, who was in the room, pulled him aside, took him to the next room. He was just 10 years old, and he said, Jeff, one day you're going to learn that it's harder to be kind than it is to be clever. If we're not careful, we will accumulate all the right answers, and we will be clever and cynical. The question is, are we being kind? The question is, are we like Jesus, who when he saw the multitudes, was moved not with criticism, but was moved with compassion? It's easy to see the world around us. It's easy to see people in the church that, that can bother us and that don't align with us. But here Paul was saying, when you embrace healthy community, there's going to be comfort. There's going to be encouragement involved. There, there's going to be that, that ability to put courage in someone else. So comfort. But then he goes on, he talks about unity. Notice it in verse number two. So first he mentions comfort. But then he says this, being knit together in love. Being knit together together in love. Now, I've never knit anything in my entire life. Lord willing, I won't have to. <laughs> How many of you like to knit? Anybody? Congratulations. Three people in the room. Okay. So these three people, you're really going to understand this illustration. Everybody else, we're just going to have to pretend. Okay. But Paul's saying, Paul's saying that a healthy community will be knit together in love. 
The idea is a piece of string or a piece of yarn in isolation is not going to accomplish much. But when it's woven together, there's potential, there's purpose there. And so what Paul is saying is my desire for the church is that you would embrace healthy community and that you would be knit together in love, that you would be woven together, that you would have purpose and strength and discover your potential when you're walking in community. Now, this is something that is very near and dear to my heart and something that I've been thinking on and praying on much recently as our church goes to three services. Because what we can't afford is to have three separate churches. Many of us that go to the 11 o'clock service, we don't know who goes to the 9 o'clock service. The people that go to the 9 o'clock service, we don't know who goes to the 11 o'clock service. And sometimes this can be a stumbling block or a hindrance from spiritual growth. And so one of the best ways that we can combat this as a church is to get plugged into a small group. One of the best ways that we can cultivate community is to say, you know what, I'm going to commit to a group midweek, in the morning, in the evening. I need some people in my life that can sharpen me that can hold me accountable, that can help lift me up. We're going to walk together in unity. When Seth stands up here and Katie stands up here and says, hey, uh, you should get plugged into a small group, this is not something that we want just for the sake of numbers. This is something that we desire for you, that you would be able to experience the power of walking together in spiritual community. And so what Paul is saying is when you embrace healthy community, there will be comfort, there will be unity. We're going to weed out a spirit of divisiveness and, and a spirit of division. We're going to walk with the same mind as 1 Corinthians 1 says in verse number 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so Paul says, embrace healthy community. There will be there will, there will be this unity and this comfort, but also, thirdly, satisfaction. When you find yourself in, in a thriving spiritual community, there will be satisfaction. Notice what he says in verse 2. Everybody still with me? He says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. There's the unity. And unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the, the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ, in whom, now who is he talking about there? In whom, who is he talking about? Jesus, in whom are hid, not hid from you, but hid for you, in him are hid, hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says everything that you need is found in the person of Jesus Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. Now, uh, when when Paul uses this word and talks about how wisdom is hidden, uh, he's using this Greek word apokryphos. Apokryphos. Now, this is this is a significant word because Paul was using it on purpose. One commentator, William Barclay, he said this. His very use of that word is a blow aimed at the Gnostics. If you've been here over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about this false group known as the Gnostics. Uh, they believe that all matter and all flesh was evil. They only valued that which was mystical, that which was spiritual. And this is what the Gnostics believe. That, yeah, you could have kind of this elementary level of Christianity. You can accept Jesus and be on the team. But it's kind of like you're on the JV. But it's not until you receive this new mystical knowledge, this superior knowledge, that you can really make it to varsity Christianity. That was a essentially uh, what the Gnostics were teaching. And so the Gnostics believed that a great mass of elaborate knowledge was necessary for salvation. That knowledge they set down in their books, which they called the Apocryphos. 
because they were barred to the ordinary man. And so Paul says, you don't need to go to some hidden book, the Apocryphos. You don't need to go and crack the Da Vinci Code. No, you can go straight to Jesus. He is more than enough. He is everything that you need. All things that pertain to life and godliness are found in the person of Jesus Christ. There is complete fulfillment and satisfaction. Hey, we don't have to go searching elsewhere for it. If we really believe in the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is ultimate satisfaction in him and in him alone. And so he's talking about embracing this kind of, this kind of spiritual community and harmony. Now, this leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. Not only should we embrace healthy community, but number two, we have to resist wrong philosophy. Now, before we go any further this morning, can we all acknowledge together today that there is certainly false philosophy that is infiltrating our culture today. Can we all just kind of agree with that as a baseline, okay? So there's all kinds of false philosophy and ideologies that are surrounding us and permeating our culture. And Paul's gonna talk about the importance of resisting that. Notice verse number four. He says, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Any man beguile you, deceive you, trip you up. Then he says this in verse number eight. Beware, everybody say beware. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. So, so twice he issues this warning. He's saying, be careful, be on guard that no one will beguile you, that no one will spoil you. Hey, I, I just want, to, I want you to know this morning that it does not matter if you are 16 or if you are 60, the devil wants nothing more than to derail your destiny. He wants nothing more than to trip up and to mess up your future. The Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to infiltrate your life, infiltrate your home, sometimes through subtle, wrong, false philosophies and ideologies to get you to trip up in life. And so Paul is saying you have to resist that kind of false and wrong philosophy. Uh, I remember growing up, our family, we had a white Ford Windstar minivan, and uh, that was what we drove. It had a red stripe right down the middle. It was a great, great minivan. And uh, I remember uh, one morning waking up, going down into the garage, and our Windstar was gone. It was not in the garage. Somebody came in and stole our minivan. And so we called the police. The police came and started to ask my mom and dad some questions, mainly my mom because she was the one that drove the Windstar. And uh, they were asking her some questions and they said, first question is, how did they get into the garage? And my mom said, well, I think I left the garage door open last night. And, uh, and my dad just kind of like put his head down, <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And uh, then they said, well, how did they get the keys? And my mom said, well, usually I leave the keys in the ignition so I don't lose them. And I looked over at my dad, and he's just like, okay, you know. And, uh, and uh, later on, my dad told my mom, you might as well have just put a sign on the garage that said, free car. You know, leave the garage door open, uh, leave the keys in the ignition. That car was completely unguarded. I think the reality for most of us today is there are times in our lives when we go, when our hearts and our minds are left unguarded. There, there's no security system in place. And what the devil is doing is he's walking right into your life and he's taking over because we are not keeping our hearts with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. There has to be some sort of spiritual security system that we put into place. And this is what Paul is saying. Uh, you, need to, you need to protect some things in your life, to protect your heart, to protect your mind. Now, he's going to give three specific areas. Are you interested? Three, three specific areas that we're to resist. First, the first area is this, enticing words. 
enticing words. Notice it in verse number four. He says, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. That phrase means this, speech adapted to persuade. Speech adapted to persuade. And so what this means is that uh, the devil, the enemy, is going to use these plausible-sounding arguments, these very well-crafted arguments. The, the connotation here of enticing words is like a crafty salesman. I remember when Katie and I first got married, uh, we got this letter in the mail that said, you can win a free trip somewhere if you go and listen to our timeshare presentation. And so we decided, hey, let's go to this timeshare presentation to see if we can win a free trip. And we had no intention of buying a timeshare whatsoever, but we thought we might be able to win this trip. But before we went, we kind of made a deal with each other. We made a pact. We said, no matter what, we're not buying a timeshare. No matter how good it sounds, we're not going to do it. And so we kind of shook on it. We're not buying a timeshare. We walked in there. There was about 40 people in the room, and uh, they were selling us hard on this timeshare. Like, you're going to make the best memories ever, and this is the greatest investment ever, and, and uh, you know, breaking down all the prices. And Kate and I, we were holding strong. And I'm happy to say we did not buy that timeshare. Thank you so much. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And, uh, and uh, we didn't buy that timeshare, but when they got done with the presentation, they said, they said, if you want to just leave and go get your free trip, go out the left door. If you're interested in actually buying the timeshare, go out the right door. It's okay, now we got up and we went out the left door. We were not going to buy this timeshare. As soon as we walked out that left, left door, there was someone there to meet us. And he said, hey, you guys come with me. And he took us to his desk. And Kate and I were sitting there at his desk and he said, now listen. I know that you guys don't want to buy this timeshare, but I'm willing right now to cut the price in half. And I'm willing right now to throw in this and to throw in that. And I'm looking at Katie like, is our deal still on? Because this sounds, this sounds pretty good right now. And uh, we did not buy the timeshare still, okay? So we didn't give in. Uh, but it was very, very crafty. I want you to know today that when the devil wants to mess up your life, he's not going to use an argument that sounds bad. When the devil wants to mess up your life, he's going to use an argument that sounds really good. That is why when you hear some of the false philosophies and some of the ideologies that are infiltrating our culture today, on a surface level, they don't sound that bad. Follow your heart. Love is love. Do whatever you want. Do whatever your heart desires. A lot of times we can get tripped up because we're, we're listening to these enticing words, these plausible sounding arguments. That is why it is imperative. No matter what the issue is in culture, no matter what the hot, hot topic button is of the day, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's transgenderism, whether it's abortion, whatever the hot uh, topic button is, we cannot afford to say, well, this is what I think about it. This is what I feel about it. This is what CNN says. This is what Fox News says. What we ought to say is here is what the Bible says concerning these things. What we ought to say is, you know, we have a higher authority. The authority is God's word. It's not just up to us to decide and arbitrarily make our own rules and try to subjectivize our way into doing whatever it is that we want. No, there has to be a higher standard that we adhere to. And some of us today need to get back to the word of God and to develop and adopt a biblical worldview. The, the way in which we view life is not through our own thinking, it's through the word of God, the Bible. And so Paul says, be very careful about these crafty sounding arguments because you're going to get tripped up and lost in them. Well, that sounds pretty good. But just because it sounds good doesn't mean that it is good. Many times the things that sound good are not good. Uh, the only question is, what does the Bible have to say about this? There's, there's, there's a more sure word. There's a final authority when it comes to this. So uh, Paul's saying enticing words, but then he gives a second category. 
The second category is this, empty pursuits. Notice it in verse number eight. Everybody doing okay this morning? Verse eight, he says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, the word spoiled in the original language is very, um, it's, it's very forceful. It's an intense word. It carries the idea of being captured, being abused, being kidnapped. And so he says, don't let anyone spoil you. Don't, don't, anyone, don't let anyone take you away and capture you uh, through this philosophy or this vain deceit. The word vain means empty. So Paul's saying, don't let someone trip you up. Don't let some, some belief system trip you up uh, because of an empty pursuit, a vain deceit. Uh, don't be chasing after the wind. Uh, don't, don't be pursuing something in life that doesn't really matter for all of eternity. Uh, so often I look at the world today and I see so many people that are just chasing emptiness, just chasing the wind. I'm just trying to make that next dollar amount. I'm just trying to get that next promotion. I'm just trying to get to that next relationship. And so often we're just chasing the wind. This is what Solomon had to say about empty pursuits. Solomon, he said this in Ecclesiastes 2, verse number 10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Think about that statement for a moment. Anything I saw that looked good to me, I consumed. Anything. There was no seatbelt on my life whatsoever. No guardrails. Anything I wanted, I could partake in. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Think of any pleasure. Solomon said I experienced it times 10. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. Empty pursuits. He said, I just pursued everything, anything that would bring me happiness, joy, pleasure, and it left me feeling empty. Notice what the end of verse number eight says. He says, beware lest they may spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. Uh, the word tradition there means something that is passed down generation to generation. There's a tradition. Uh, be very careful that you do not take a tradition and a truth and put them on the same playing field. Sometimes we say, well, this is the way that it's always been done. Tradition. See, the Bible says that we are to be students of the word of God and we are to rightly divide the word of truth. And what we do is sometimes mix things together. We say, okay, here's truth, and here's my tradition that I really like, and we put them on the same playing field, elevating our tradition to truth. And so Paul says, be very careful that you don't take the tradition of men just the way that you've always done it and elevate it to that position of truth. He says, be careful. He goes on in verse number eight, and he says this. After the rudiments of the world, after the rudiments of the world, uh, and not after Christ. And so here's the third category, evil thinking. And so enticing words, he says, don't let anyone trip you up with enticing words, those plausible sounding arguments. Uh, then empty pursuits, just chasing the wind. But then it's just evil thinking. You know, so often the reason why we get tripped up in life is because we have not learned to adopt the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're thinking worldly thoughts. We're thinking fleshly thoughts. We're thinking thoughts uh, self-centered rather than thoughts uh, that are coming from the word of God. Romans chapter 12 says this in verse number two. And be not conformed or patterned to this world, but be ye transformed. Everybody say transformed. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's saying protect the will of God for your life. Don't fall for these enticing words, empty pursuits, evil thinking. Resist 
Wrong philosophy. Now, this leads us to our third thought. You ready for number three today? The third thought is this. We have to establish the right trajectory. And so we embrace healthy community. We've got to get plugged into the local church. We've got to embrace small group. We've got to do life together. Embrace healthy community. Uh, Then we have to resist the wrong philosophy. We have to understand those enticing words and some of those things. We resist that. But then we have to establish the right trajectory for our lives. Let's, Let's pick it up in verse number five. It says this. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfastness, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse six. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Here's your walk. Here's your path. Here's your new trajectory. As you have received the Lord, now walk in him. I love that Paul brings us back to our conversion moment. He says, just as you receive the Lord. How many of you remember the moment, the day that you got saved, the moment that you received Christ? Remember that day? How many of you got saved at Rock Hill? Can I see your hands? You accepted Christ at Rock Hill. And uh, that, that, that's amazing to think about. When, when, when someone's life is transformed by the gospel, that's called conversion. We're giving our, our lives to Christ. As you have received Christ, just like that day, then so walk ye in him. What is Paul saying? Your conduct should be in alignment with your conversion. The way that you receive the Lord is now the trajectory for your life. Let me give you an example. We were saved by faith, right? We, right? We were saved by faith, so now we walk by faith. We were saved by hearing the word of the Lord, so now we ought to walk by hearing the word of the Lord. We were saved by the work of the Holy Spirit, so we live and we walk in submission to the Holy Spirit. And so as you have therefore received the Lord, so walk ye in him. Does this make sense today about how we are to establish the right trajectory? Uh, As you receive the Lord, so walk ye in him. This is so vitally important because one degree off can mess up your life. Pilots know this. When they learn to fly, there's something called one degree course correction. If you are off in your coordinates when you're flying an airplane by one degree, you will miss your destination by one mile for every 60 miles that you fly. Just, just one degree. One degree can make a big difference. You might think, well, what's the big deal if I take my spouse on on a date? I know that they really want me to, but what's the big deal? Hey, one degree can make a big difference. Should I really get plugged into a small group? What difference will that make? One degree can make a big difference. Hey, never underestimate what God can do with a little. You need to set the right trajectory for your life. Hey, serving on a team might not seem like a big deal to you, but one degree can make a big difference. As you have therefore received the Lord Jesus, so walk ye in him. That's the trajectory for your life. Now, how do we do this? How do we set this kind of trajectory? Well, I want to close by giving us two words that I believe are pertinent for establishing the right trajectory. The first word is discipline. We're going to need some spiritual discipline. I want you to see in verse number five, it says this. Everybody still with me for a few minutes today? Verse number five. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding, watch this, your order, your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul says, I've observed from a distance. I've heard from your pastor, Epaphras. I've heard about your church, and I've observed something. 
I've observed your order, your steadfastness. Both of those were military terms. They carried the idea of walking in rank, that you were going to fall in line, that you were going to be a good soldier, uh, that you knew your order, you knew your place, you were working together as a unit. He says, I've observed your order. Now, to be a soldier takes some discipline. You recognize you are fighting for something bigger than yourself. And so often you will put your body under subjection, under discipline. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 2, verse number 2. Thou therefore, my son, Paul writing to a young, discouraged pastor named Timothy, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. By the way, we don't have time to cover it all, but that's the process of discipleship. We learn the things that God wants us to learn, and then we go and we teach others also. It's not about addition, it's about multiplication. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. We're not going to get distracted by the affairs of this life. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Can I remind you today that life is not a game to be played, it's a war to be waged. And we are soldiers enlisted in the fight. And Paul says at the church of Colossae, he says, hey, I'm liking the trajectory. I want you to keep on walking in that military unit, that order, that steadfastness. You need to have discipline, but not only discipline, but then also durability, faithfulness. Notice in verse 7. He says this in verse 7 rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Rooted is an agricultural term. Built up is an architectural term. Established in the faith. Both have the same idea. Have a strong foundation. Get rooted. Get built up. Have a strong foundation so that when those false ideologies and when the storms of life come that you can stand firm. You have, you have a firm foundation. Rooted. This past week, I was doing some yard work in my backyard. I don't do much yard work all the time, but when I do, I want to make it count. So I was out in the backyard, and there was this bush that was bothering me because it was dead. And so I went out there with some tools, and I was cutting that, that bush down, and I was just cutting it piece by piece. And finally, I got to the bottom, and I was getting ready to pull out the root system, and I thought it was going to be this, this really challenging feat to do that, Ricky. I thought it was just going to take me all my strength to pull out the root system. And I go to pull it out, and to my surprise, it just slipped right out of the dirt. And I thought, why did I just waste so much time cutting this plant? I could have just ripped it right on out. And that bush came out so easily because it was dead and the root system had dried up, easily uprooted. You know, I thought about that and I thought, it's so tragic to me in my life whenever I hear of someone who leaves the faith, who deconstructs their faith. This is something that's becoming more popular in our day, the deconstruction. I grew up in church, but I don't, I'm just deconstructing my faith. It's always tragic when someone's faith gets uprooted because there was no real healthy root system. There was no real firm foundation. The church is just answering questions that people aren't even asking. And so when it comes time to make my faith my own, there's, there's not a root system. There's no firm foundation. Paul's telling the church at Colossae, get rooted, get built up in Christ Jesus, established in the faith. And then he says this, abounding therein with thanksgiving. I love this. Abounding with thanksgiving. You know what he's saying? 
You'll be glad you did. You get a strong root system. You build a firm foundation on Jesus Christ. You'll be so grateful that you did. You'll be abounding with thanksgiving. You get established in healthy community. You'll be so grateful that you did. You resist wrong philosophy. You'll be so grateful that you did. Hey, you establish the right trajectory. You'll be so grateful that you did. You will be abounding with thanksgiving. The best life possible is found in living with Jesus Christ. You'll be glad that you did. Am I missing something? No. It's Jesus alone. He is enough. You are complete in him. In verse number nine, notice what he says. In verse number nine, he says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in bodily form. This is so important for us to know today because Jesus is not 50% God and 50% man. No, he is 100% God and 100% man. Now that might not make mathematical sense, but it makes perfect theological sense. Fully God, fully man. And because Jesus Christ is God, he has the power to forgive you of your sins. And today, if you don't know Christ as your savior, you can experience the forgiveness of sins. You can recognize and acknowledge he is enough. I don't have to be very, I don't have to be overtly religious to be saved. I don't have to uh, read all of this to be saved. And I don't have to have this uh, 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 experience to be saved. I just need Jesus. Whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to close with this verse in John's gospel. The other night, my daughter Liv wanted me to tell her a story, and so I grabbed the Bible that was by her bed, and I turned to John chapter 4, and I started reading this story about the woman at the well. How many of you are familiar with the woman at the well? And I was telling Liv about how she was ostracized, and she had to go uh, at the sixth hour, which I was preaching to Liv at her bed, and I was saying, you know, she was all by herself because all the other uh, women didn't like her, and she was living in sin. And so Jesus shows up, and Jesus must needs go through Samaria, and he had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment with that woman, and the, the Jews hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans hated the Jews, and, and I was telling all this, uh, this to Liv, and we got to this verse in John 4, verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You will be perpetually dissatisfied with this water, with what the world has to offer. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus today is offering everlasting life the best life possible we do not have to fear of what we might miss out on because in Jesus there is the abundant life the best life eternal life Jesus says come to me and I will give you one sip of the living water and you will be satisfied for the rest of your days we don't have to live fearful we can live fulfilled because that's what Jesus has to offer Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.